0: It is um, just an incredible joy really to to be here and just to be able to share in worship, to be able to share in His presence, to be able to celebrate God, to be able to worship to God, to be able to recognize we are in His presence and not to take it for granted but just to let it fill in your hearts and your soul and let it erupt in an offering that only He deserves. We erupt at a lot of things. There's a lot of eruption over some March Madness games. Not all holy eruption, but there was a lot of eruption. And I think our God, the Holy Spirit, I think Jesus, I think our triune God deserves our best eruption, don't you? I'm celebrating with you. Over the last six months, it's been a privilege. Let me just say this I love your pastor. I have a Jesus affection for Pastor Josh. I've just, um, the, the longer that we've had time to talk, dream, to pray. Like I, I've, I've been able to share in conversations where I get to hear his heart for you. and What he believes God has put in his heart that he wants you to be able to enjoy, walk in and express to your community. I've got to hear his heart of how it breaks for the community and the desire that, it, that God's placed in his heart. And I tell him every time, we, I mean it. If i could if, if I ever move back to this area you're going to have to put up with me daily i just I would love to worship alongside of you and grow um, to be able to hear and see and begin to dream and uh, just see it in on whiteboard and to see it on paper and to see it scratched out and and then to be able to come in and see your an incredible map and how it's launched and grown and how it's involving the body so that the Holy Spirit can manifest Himself through you through the giftings He chose to give you so others can see this visual evidence of a resurrected Savior is absolutely incredible. You should just be proud of what God is doing. I love journeying with a church who is a cross-carrying, Spirit-filled, Bible-anchored Christ follower. That's who I love following with. Matter of fact, I learned today, there was a salvation in the house. Uh, Listen, there's an eruption. There was one. And there were 99 over here. And Jesus says, y'all stay put. There's one. And he had a little talk with him and the the person said, yes. There was a hold of death on this one. If Jesus would have come back five minutes sooner. Understand? If Jesus would have come back three minutes sooner. Sixty seconds sooner. A breath sooner. There wouldn't be an eruption of an applause. There would be a mourning. We would be doing a funeral and tears should grip our heart. But today, that didn't happen. Today there was an applause, a celebration all through heaven. So, Jesus, what you did still works. You're not dead, you're not done, there's more of God to be had. I love journeying with the church that believes that. God's not dead, God's not done. You have to believe there's more of God to be had. And He has you in mind to share it. So I hope. I hope that you long for, I hope that you want to see more salvations. Do you want to see more salvations? Do you know who else wants to see more salvation? It's the only reason He came. To buy us back from the grave. To give us eternal life. And eternal life doesn't happen when we die. It happens the moment we believe. We get to dwell in the presence of God forever the moment we believe we are walking in His presence. He has filled us with His Spirit. And we get to commune with Him. And there will be a day where we get to be face to face. He wants to see so much more of that. So speaking of that, let, let's, let's talk about that some more. Would you, if you have your Bible, would you open up to the book of Genesis? I picked the book of Genesis. It's the easiest book in the Bible to find. It's the first one. So no problems, just right? Uh, First book should be easy to find Genesis chapter uh, 18. Let's let's check it out. Let's uh, start there. Um, As we look, Genesis, when this story kind of begins, it begins awkward. I I don't know about you, but I, I love sitting down as I read the Bible. I actually pull out a big notepad. And the first time I read the story or as I work through the text, one of the things that I do is I just write down questions. And then I go back to see if I can answer them. And then the ones that I can't really answer or I'm not satisfied with the answer, it makes me dig deeper. I've got to find the answer to that. And then I notice all kinds of weird things and strange things and things that just stick out like, why is that in the story? But it's there for a reason. And so in this story, it it, it starts off um, announcing, kind of bringing some news that there was going to be a birth. And then there's a the second part of the story that says, all right, so there's going to be a birth and then there's, there's going to be death. And it's just an, like, who does that? Who show up to announce this great announcement of a birth but then also in the same breath says, oh yeah, we're going to destroy a lot of people. That's a party killer. Don't, don't lead with that. So I was thinking about it. Um, there, there are things are in my life, I have to admit it, I'm becoming my parents. Have you done this yet? There were things you didn't like growing up, things that your parents would say or do, and then you find yourself doing them. An answer that would drive me nuts that my parents would give me when I would ask a question. They would say, because. And... And so you, they look at you, and you ask a question, they look at you, and they, and they say, because. And it makes you, as a child, look at them and say, because, why? Because why? And they look at you, and they say, because I said so. Yes, you're a victim of this. You're, proctor- you're practitioners. You're so good. I wonder if we understand our because, if we've really taken time to wrestle when someone says, why do you follow Jesus? Hopefully it's more than just a because. Because why? Why do you pray? Why do you live out your faith? Who is the reason for your because? What is the reason for your because? Genesis 18, it's a story, it's three mysterious men, there's all kinds of different um, ideas of who these three people could be, but I don't, I don't I want to dive into that, I, I just wanted to just understand there are three people, three men that show up that are not identified in the story, and they've come down to talk with Abraham, and they have two purposes in this conversation, one is they want to announce that Sarah is going to bear child. And I would never, ever say this publicly had it not been written so it's not my words, so I can say it, because I would never own it in my own words. But Sarah kind of laughs at that. She says, what could a, how can an old, worn-out woman like me have a child? I would never call any woman like that. But she did, so I can say it. That's what she said. And she laughed. And, th- and then the, the second purpose for the visit was to announce that they... To let Abraham know, or to come down and to investigate Sodom and Gomorrah, and they were going to destroy everyone in the city. Now, oftentimes, when we think of Sodom and Gomorrah, the first thing that we go to in our minds is is that we just um, we think more about um, the promiscuous ways. We we think more um, about their immorality. And while it was as low, I think as low could get in immorality, they they were far worse then maybe we want to give them credit for. We often just like to kind of center our thoughts around their morality, But they were vile people. They were a wicked city. Uh, They oppressed the poor like no one else. Uh, They they were cruel. And I could get very very clear and articulate about their cruel ways and, and the things that they would do to their enemy to be able to ward off others and to... Kind of share or show off their power, but they were very cruel. They weren't. They were not just immoral. They were cruel. They were wicked. They were vile. They were mean. They were devilish. And so these three men meet with Abraham and Sarah, and they announce her pregnancy. and And then we get to verse 16. This is where I'd like to read with you. We're going to do a little bit of reading. Is this okay? We can do some reading of scriptures. We're still a church that loves to read Scripture. Amen. Good. Then the men got up from their meal and started on towards Sodom. Abraham went with them part of the way. Should I hide my plan from Abraham? The Lord asked. gives you a clue to at least maybe who one of the people... One of the three are for Abraham will become a great and mighty nation and all nations of the earth will be blessed through him. I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord and do what is right and just. Then I will do for him all that I have promised. Verse 20. So the Lord told Abraham, I have heard that the people of Sodom and Gomorrah are extremely evil. And that everything they do is wicked. I am going down to see whether or not these reports are true. Then I will know. The other two men went on toward Sodom, but the Lord remained with Abraham for a while. Now remember, who else, who, who, uh, who is in Sodom and Gomorrah that Abraham might care about? Lot, Lot. Lot showed us a really good slippery slope of when we live too close to the line. How he moved near the gate. And then you find him at the gate. And all that happened as he just continued to find that slippery slope. So he, he, he is in the depths of the gut of Sodom and Gomorrah. We might think. That this would be the reason, he would be the reason, that Abraham would be interested in Sodom and Gomorrah. We've got to read the story. Abraham approached him. Who's him? The Lord. The Lord remained back. The other two went ahead. Abraham approached the Lord. Before I move on, I have to tell you a little bit about this word, approached. It's not just a little word that we need to pass by that he just kind of walked up to and just casually had a conversation. Hey, Lord, can we talk for a bit? It's a heavy word. It's a heavy Hebrew word. that What it means, it gives the connotation, it gives the descriptive as one would approach the judge in a court of law. It's someone who would make their approach in a court of law. Abraham is about to take God to court. This is the heaviness of the word. Abraham is approaching the bench of God and going to make his appeal. We need to understand the weightiness of that or we won't appreciate the conversation he's about to have. This isn't casual. Abraham approached him and said, will you destroy both innocent and guilty alike Suppose you find 50 innocent people there within the city. So understand, it has way more to do with just Lot, doesn't it? We'll get there. Suppose you find 50 innocent people within the city. Will you destroy it and not spare it for uh, their sake? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the innocent with the guilty. Why you would be treating the innocent and the guilty the exact same exclamation point. Surely you wouldn't do that exclamation point. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? Abraham is approaching the Lord as if he is approaching a bench in a court of law. And the Lord replied, if I find fifty Innocent people in Sodom. I will spare the entire city for their sake. Then Abraham spoke again. Since I have begun, let me go on and speak further to my Lord. Even though I am but dust and ashes, suppose there are only forty-five. Will you destroy the city for the lack of five? That's what he's asking. He says, is five a game changer? Like 50's okay, you'll spare it, but if we reduce it by five, those five change everything. Those five kind of change your mind. They're not enough. There's not enough value there. So you're going to go on with your plan? Or, or can we, what, what, what if we came up with just five short? What now, Lord? The Lord said, I will not destroy it if I find 45. Then Abraham pressed his request further. Suppose. There are only 40. The Lord plays along. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it if there are 40. Please don't be angry, my Lord, Abraham pleaded. Let me speak. Suppose only 30 are found. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it if there are 30. Then Abraham said, since I have dared to speak to the Lord. Can you feel the weightiness of this conversation? The way he's approaching the Lord and and having the talk and the language he's using and the tone of voice he's using? He understands he's on a slippery slope here. He's He's not on equal ground. But there is something inside him that says, I've got to have this conversation. I just heard some news that you are about to destroy. And I know there has to be innocent people there. And I want to speak up on behalf of those who might say yes. Who might be found innocent. And Abraham said, since I have dared to speak to the Lord, let me continue. Suppose there are 20. And the Lord said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Finally, Abraham said, Lord, please don't get angry. I will speak but once more. Suppose only ten are found there. Can you hear Abraham's heart? And I love Abraham's heart. God, before you rush in, and before you bring your judgment, and before you bring your wrath, can we, can we find 50? Yeah, uh, what about 45? You said yes to that. Well, what about 40, 30, 20, 10? What's it take before you would say no? Like, give us a chance. Give us time to reach just one more. Give us time just to reach that one family. Give us time, because eternity is a long time. Can you hear his heart? The Lord said, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went on his way when he had finished his conversation with Abraham. And Abraham returned to his tent. So this is where I write some questions down in my Bible. I'm like, man, that was heavy. I'm, I, I I'm not lying. Like, I, I, I got questions written down. I want God to answer them. I want to know. I have a couple questions, but one in particular that continues to stir me and drive me. Why? Why is Abraham? pleading for Sodom and Gomorrah in the first place. Why? And he's not going to say because. Well, because why? Why is Abraham pleading for Sodom and Gomorrah? If you know anything about the story, you'll find out that they actually kidnapped Lot, his nephew. They kidnapped him and took him off after they ravaged the city. And Abraham grabbed his men and went after and captured it back. And, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah both came to kind of a, a plead with Abraham, hey, can we have our toys back? Can we have our wealth back? Even gave an offering to say thank you. And Abraham says, you're, uh, you're not gonna, I'm not going to take anything from me because I don't want you to say I made Abraham. You will know it was the Lord. So if, if there was any reason at all, if you or me, not you, you're better. If it's me and I'm having a conversation, and the Lord approaches me, and He lets me know that my wife is going to be having a baby. I'm thinking about that. Who cares about another city? I'm like, what? But let's just say I could get past that. And He's telling me that He's going to destroy a city that has kidnapped my nephew, and I have seen them oppress the poor. I've seen their cruelty. I've heard of their wicked ways. I've seen them paint their walls with blood. I've seen all their vileness. I want nothing to do with it. I would just simply say, Lord, would you give me a moment to get my uh, nephew Lot out and then throw road tar all over the rest of them numbskulls. Like, have your way. You guys are more holy, I'm sure. This is just how I would feel. I would have your way with them. Let them face the wrath and the judgment, the measure they have used, give it back tenfold. But let me get my nephew out. So why is Abraham Approaching God in this serious manner as if He is approaching a judge in a courtroom and begging for the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. I, I, I want to I know why. I don't know. Here's what I wrote. Right here. Because He understood that he had been unkind towards God and deserved God's judgment. But because God had given him that which he did not deserve, he wanted others to experience that same favor. Where are you? I don't know where you place yourself in the story, but I place myself kind of in two places in, in times in my life. I have been Sodom and Gomorrah. In this story, I have been Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because my Bible tells me that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That no one can stand on their own righteousness. That we all deserve death. That we all deserve a Christless eternity. That we have nothing good on our own to offer Him. That anything that we try to manifest on our own, any gifts, any worship that we would try to give Him... It is not acceptable, but it is only through the righteousness of Christ that I can approach His throne room with confidence because I stand in the grace of Christ that I can have a relationship with my Heavenly Father. And He has been good to me. And because He has been good to me, and I understand, I'm growing in that knowledge of what I deserve, but what He's given, I want others to experience, to encounter, to have, what God has given me because I'm no one special. Since the beginning of time, there has been a worship that God does not accept and a worship that God does accept. And in the spirit of Cain, there are still many Christians who are trying to give, trying to offer what we think he should accept instead of bringing what he asks. He not only rejects our fleshly manifestations of our gifts and our righteous behavior, he not only rejects it if we're doing it on our own, he despises it. He wants what only he's empowered you to offer in a spirit of humility. Worship where you worship him in truth and grace. Abraham, why? Because he understood that he had been unkind toward God and did not deserve salvation. But because God gave him that which he did not deserve, he wanted others to have that same favor. So I made this note, and maybe I hope it sticks with you. If we truly believe the Gospel, our lives will begin to look like the gospel. If you truly believe the Gospel, your life will look like the Gospel. Can I flip that? If your life does not look like the Gospel, I'm going to challenge you and say, I don't know if you truly believe the Gospel. Because when you understand that there, at this moment I was dead and in a Christless eternity, but Jesus came and He opened my eyes, He awakened my heart with this gift we call conviction and showed me the need of salvation. And I had nothing to offer Him to say yes, but He said yes to me. And because He did, I get to stand in His presence and enjoy His reward. I am a co-heir of Christ. Therefore, we should share it. And Jesus says you will bless those that persecute you. Jesus says that you, when asked to walk a mile, you're going to go too. Jesus says you're going to take the cause of the stranger, the widow, and the orphan. On and on, the way that our life begins to look like the Gospel. If it's not, I question if we believe it. Abraham believed what God had done and he wanted his life to look like it and to offer what he had received. You and I, we've been placed in a similar situation to Abraham. This is what I believe, that you and I have been placed into a similar situation of Abraham. Each of us have been placed into a family, into a community, into a nation where we get the privilege to pray and sacrifice on its behalf we get the privilege to stand in the gap between God and the community. Between God and our family. Between God and our nation. And we get to approach God and say, before you come, can we reach 50? Like, what if we bargained up? God empowers us to reach 500. God empowers us to reach 5,000. God empowers us to reach five nations. God, empower us to see world change. You, he's done it. He will do it again. And, and so we stand on behalf and we get to plead on behalf of those who don't know Him. He's placed you there so you can approach God on the merits of Jesus for their salvation. We owe them our labors. I believe this. I believe, I believe we owe everybody this side of heaven. The freedom to hear the good news of Jesus. Not because we owe it to them. Not because we owe it to your neighbor, but because I owe it to him. You see, Paul says there's two ways really to be a debtor. When you Write it down so you can read it. Romans 1.14 says this, Paul called himself a debtor to all who never heard the Gospel. And there's two ways to be a debtor. One way that you're a debtor is that someone, owed you, someone gave you money and now you owe them. Another way to be a debtor is someone gives you more than you could ever deserve. Someone gives you more than you asked. And they said, here's how you're going to pay it back. You're going to carry it. And when you find people who are just as helplessly, hopelessly, desperately lost as you, you share it. And you are not in debt to them. You're in debt to the benefactor that gave it to you. That's the Christian body right there. We are in debt to him to give the gospel message to all who have not yet heard it. That's the privilege that we have. God didn't save you. God didn't save me because there's something special about us. We are Sodom in the story. After He saves us, we get to become Abraham in the story. We get to approach God and plead with Him to save those who don't yet know Him. Psalms 2.8. Maybe you'd want to. If you're a note taker, you'd write this verse down. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations. I don't know what you're asking God for. A safe safe travel trip home? Bless your food? Give you a good night's rest? It's good things. Don't take them for granted. Be thankful. In all things rejoice. Be thankful. Own it. God, thank you for this food. There are people starving. I'm eating it in a warm environment. There are homeless who don't have it. Thank You! Help me be generous towards those who don't. God, thank You that I could rest. There are people who suffer insomnia and they don't get rest. So, don't take it for granted. I'm not not, uh, minimizing those prayers. But there is more of God to be had. Psalms. ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Do you realize the potential that God has placed in our hands? That we can ask Him for the nations that they might know Him. Give us opportunity to walk across the street and around the world and introduce them to the Savior. To the resurrected Savior. The undefeated King their Creator, their Maker, their Heavenly Father, the One who holds their life in His hands. He's invited us to a front row seat and be able to share that. I I hear a lot, actually. I hear a a lot of discouraged Christians. And I I don't think that we should be. I, I don't think that Jesus wants us to be discouraged. I don't think He wants us to be scared, huddled up Christians just waiting for the rapture. I think we're to be supernatural living, displaying, bringing the kingdom of God to earth that others might want to become a part of it. I think that the Holy Spirit has chosen to give you gifts that it would manifest itself that would cause others to stop in their tracks and say, I don't know what you have, but I want that. I know who you are. I saw what your marriage used to look like. I know what you used to do with your time. I saw how you used to abuse your body. I know what you used to be addicted to. I know how you used to squander your money. Now look at, I want what you got. Where'd you get that? There is a living testimony that is greater than you and you get to display it not for your good, but for their benefit and His glory. If we truly believe the Gospel, our life is going to begin to look like the Gospel. God loves it when we ask big prayers because it demonstrates that we understand His big grace that He has bestowed upon us. We are starting to understand his bigness in our life and that we can come to him. I love it. I have two adult children now. I love it when they still come and ask for help, not because I'm needy or they need it, but I love it that they still see that I have something I can offer them. And I find it just an absolute privilege when I get the honor to help my dad. I can't imagine a heavenly father's heart who loves it when we come to Him and ask for His help. And He gets to ask us to partner with Him. What an honor. What a privilege. We have so much to live for. There are so many eternities at stake. So it leads us to your coming up time to Easter. When everybody, like if there's ever a time that somebody's going to come to church, going to come into the body, going to experience transformed lives, and I ask this, does your life look like, a, like your God is worth following? Does your faith look like your God is worth following? Does your love look like your God is worth following? Does your generosity look like your God is worth following? Does your humility and your servanthood look like your God is worth following? Because if your God doesn't look like it's worth following, they're not going to follow We are living evidence of a resurrected Savior. We are living evidence of what the transformation of what Jesus does on the inside and how it comes on the outside. And we are a public billboard, a display into the heavenlies to see what they can have access to. You are coming into a time of Easter and I want to know who are you begging God for? Who have you identified in your neighborhood, in your family, in your workplace, in your school? Who are you pleading for God that this would be the day, this would be the season in their life where their soul would be awakened and they would say yes to the God that has said yes to them? I think about Noah. Real quick, I think about Noah, who when God began to download his plan into his mind and heart, and help him see what he had never seen in his life. A boat. What's a boat? An ark. What's an ark? It's a boat. Well, what's a boat? I mean, just imagine Noah. And when God says... Lord, help me with this one. When, when, when God says, Noah, I'm going to destroy the whole earth. We're talking Abraham with Sodom and Gomorrah. Noah, I'm going to destroy the whole earth. Everything that Noah had worked for. His house, gone. His business, gone. His garden, gone. The things he was storing up in his closet, gone. His favorite car, gone. You understand what I'm saying? God, he was going to destroy everything, but beyond his own personal life life as usual changed for Noah the moment God said, I'm going to destroy everybody. Because the moment Noah walked out of that conversation and he became nose to nose with someone else, he knew that person's going to be destroyed. That person could be destroyed. That person could be destroyed. That person could be destroyed. destroyed. What I know is if you don't get on my ark, you're going to be destroyed. Life changed for Noah. I believe his heart wanted everyone in the ark. Can you imagine when the waters begin to rise, and we think how how horrible it would be because the elderly and the young and the small ones, they're going to get trampled on as people are just, you know, panicking. The fast and the strong, they're running to the tall country, they're climbing up trees. The elderly, the young, the, the crippled, they're being left behind. And there's only one thing worse than all the cries that would have been going out that Noah would have heard, and that was the silence. Because everyone's gone. We don't, I don't know how much time we have left. I don't know when Jesus is coming back. But understand, whoever you face knows the knows, eternity has time for them coming. And we have to beg God for them. So this Easter. As you've launched into two services. Way to go. I mean it. Way to create more opportunity for more people to come in and experience and encounter Christ. Way to believe God for more. Now who are you begging for? Because programs don't meet people's needs, people meet people's needs. So I'm just going to ask if you, if, that God would begin to bring to mind that He would show you, He would burden you with that person's face, that family, and He would not let you go with it until you see them come to know Jesus. Maybe you would join me in that prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for being in this place. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your patience and your, pre- your, your, your patience with us and Your, um, your perseverance. We thank You for not, for not giving up, for going the distance, God. We thank You for the day of our salvation. We know that You have used people, that You, had, you, you have used a, a church, You have used the body of Christ, You have used multiple people in our life to help us recognize our need and the victory that we can have. Now, Heavenly Father, help us not to be hoarders of the Holy Spirit, but to share generously that which we have received. God, I pray that You would just give clear picture, that You would impress upon the heart of each one of us, Those who are around us that don't know You. Holy Spirit, just burn it in that we cannot let it go. And that we would find ourselves constantly praying and looking for opportunities to share their practical needs as well as their spiritual needs. God, I pray that You would open up doors of opportunity that we would be able to invite in into this ark. Into the ark we call the church. That they might receive grace and salvation. Lord, I look forward to the day of many more salvations. It's in your name we pray and receive. Amen.